When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zipline through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. If you get a tick embedded in your skin, this is what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to use a tweezers to grasp the tick as close to your skin as possible. And then you pull steadily, you pull them out. You don't twist it or turn your tweezers because according to the website, this can cause the tick's mouth parts, mouth parts to break off in your skin. All right, we just lost all the listeners. I'm reading this going, the mouth parts are in your skin. And then it goes on to say, (laughs) it says, if this happens, remove the mouth parts with the tweezers. Uh, What? Yeah. We're never hiking in April ever again. What does a mouth part of a tick look like? I I don't don't even get that. This is the Dear Bob and Sue podcast, stories from our travels to all the U.S. national parks and other public lands. I'm Karen Smith. And I'm Matt Smith. We're the authors of the Dear Bob and Sue series of books. This is our monthly mailbag episode, and we have some really great questions in store for you. We sure do. Today, we'll be answering questions about road trips and train trips, and we'll talk about some of the train excursions in and around the national parks. We'll also discuss questions about wildlife encounters on the trails, both bears and ticks. Ooh. <laughs> and have you ever wanted to get married in a national park? I have. Have you? <laughs> yes. We're already married. I know. We'll talk about that as well. All of this coming up next. So, Matt. Yes, Karen. On last week's episode, I did a quick gear review at the beginning of our segment. And you mentioned at the end that this week you would have a gear review for us. So so I'm excited. I, I don't see anything on the table, but that's... Did you, did you think that I was going to bring visual aids yes. to our podcast? I'd like to see what you're talking about. So, okay. Anyway, I'm ready. I'm excited. Okay, ready? Go. All right. I didn't prepare... <laughs> I didn't prepare a gear review. I'm sorry. I completely forgot. (laughs) Actually, I did forget, but also I'm waiting for something to arrive. That's why I've been looking out the window every day, waiting for the Amazon truck to come. What's coming? I can't tell you. It's got. It's a surprise. Oh, it's not a surprise for you. Oh, it's not. No, (laughs) it's it's a man only thing. Oh, well, I don't know. It's not 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 really a man. Yours was a woman only thing. I mean, yeah, well, you could use it if you wanted to, the P-Cloth. I'm happy to share. No, actually, my, my, mine's not a man-only thing, but it is uh, something that, that 
I would prefer to use more than you. Let's let's just put it that way. Okay. And this is what the gear review is going to be about next time? Well, I don't know when it's coming. So sometime in the future, I'll do a gear review. But you know, that brings up a good topic, though. We got to do our annual gift guide gear review show sometime in November to give people holiday gift guying ideas. Gift guying. To give people... (laughs) To give people holiday, to, <laughs> to give people holiday gift buying ideas. Yes, that's always a fun one too. So stay tuned for that. That'll probably be maybe what the second Thursday in November ish. Yeah, sometime in November. Yeah, be- before mm-hmm. all the shopping craziness starts. That's right. Okay. Well, let's get right into mailbag because okay. we have a lot of great questions today. Uh, so first up, our first question comes from Becky in Muskogee, Oklahoma. How much do you love to say Muskogee, Oklahoma? Are you making these names and places up? No, but I, I had a friend in college who was from Muskogee, so I know how to say you it. You had a friend in college. <laughs> One. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, sorry. Okay, please continue. Okay, so Becky wrote to us, Dear Matt and Karen, my husband Mike and I do a lot of road trips through the Southwest, and he always insists on driving the entire time. No matter how much I ask, he never lets me drive. I don't think it's good for him to drive for hours on end. What do you two do about sharing the driving? I'm hoping if he hears that you two switch off in the driver's seat, he will let me drive during our trips. I think she's going to be disappointed with our answer. <laughs> hey, Becky, is, is Mike listening with you? Yeah. Because you might want to send him on an errand. Have him go get you a glass of wine. <laughs> no, our, we, we have a simple way of de- determining who drives. I drive until I can't feel my legs anymore. <laughs> and then we stop at a motel and, and spend the night. That's right. And that's how it works. Yeah. Thanks for the question, Becky. That was a good one. And do you, do you want to tell our listeners... Why? (laughs) I always drive. (laughs) Okay, there might have been... There was an incident last time. About every 10 years, there's an incident. What, was this summer or this spring? I forget. I tried to put it out of my mind, but I was so tired. I thought, well, this is silly. I don't need to drive every hour of, of the trip. So... We pulled off and you started driving uh-huh. and I was just so tired. I, I fell right <laughs> to sleep. You hadn't been driving more than 120 seconds. <laughs> Did you hit a canoe in the middle of the highway? Because <laughs> it looked like a canoe. When well, you hit it. to be honest, I don't know what it was that I hit. Yeah. It was a big piece of aluminum. But in my defense... In the shape of a canoe. <laughs> in my defense, we were driving through downtown Spokane, Washington. And it was rush hour. So it was bumper to bumper. There were cars next to me, one right in front of me. And it was just in the middle of the lane. And the car in front of me hit it too. And then I hit it. But there was no way to know where to swerve to get away from the aluminum rowboat that was... <laughs> Uh-huh. The so, lane. <laughs> so that was the first two minutes of your driving uh, stint then. And so I thought, you know, I'm still just too tired that that you probably now were at attention and and it couldn't possibly happen again. So what, maybe three or four minutes later, <laughs> you go to change lanes. And all I remember is looking over and I could see the driver of the dump truck. I mean, he was so close. I thought he was in our back seat. And, 
It's- well, okay, this is true. Uh, this is true. But in my defense, when I drive my car and I put my signal on, oh, the my, dump trucks to- get out of the way. No, when I put the signal on the left, you know, the left turn signal because I'm going to move over to the left lane. If there is a car in my blind spot, my outside mirror lights up and it flashes like, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. But yours does not do that. So I I put my blinker on, I started to move over, I looked in the rear view mirror, but he was in my blind spot. So yes, I I sideswiped a dump truck, but it wasn't really... Who who asked this question? (laughs) Becky? Was it Becky? Yes. Becky, Becky, you have no chance of ever driving... It's just, mm, it's mm, a guy thing. Mm-hmm. It's not, we're right. It's just. I know. But let me just speak for another couple that we know, some friends of ours, and they have a vacation home down in Tahoe. They live in Seattle. So they're driving back and forth to Lake Tahoe all the time. And it's 13 hours each way. And they switch off every two hours. They literally pull off the road. They get out. They they change drivers every two hours, every trip. So I, I don't know why we can't be I like don't that. know why a two-hour driving session, I, I don't know how that prevents you from sideswiping dump trucks. Because you hit the canoe and sideswipe the dump truck in the first seven minutes. Okay, usually it's not that bad. I, I had a rough I had a rough afternoon. I, I can go 13 hours <laughs> and still feel feel my legs. So <laughs> Yeah, sorry, Becky. We have no uh we have no help for you on this one because Matt always drives unless he is literally like if, his, when I can't yeah. feel my legs, mm-hmm. then we stop driving. Right. Okay, so that's the answer to that, Becky. Good luck, best of luck to you, and uh happy road tripping. <laughs> <laughs> this is a perfect segue because the next question is about trains where you wouldn't have to drive or, or at least not driving for a big portion of the trip. I'll turn it I'll turn it back over to you. Okay. <laughs> Becky, get Mike back in the room now. <laughs> Okay, this question is from Nan in Starksville, Mississippi. Yeah, you're making this stuff up. No, I'm not. I don't. E- I've never even heard of Starksville, okay. Mississippi. Right. I'm guessing that's Mississippi, right? MS is that Mississippi? What else would uh, it be? Massachusetts, <laughs> yes. Missouri, <laughs> Minnesota. <laughs> <laughs> Please continue. <laughs> okay, her question is simple. Have y'all, okay, it's Mississippi, she said y'all, have y'all ever considered taking the Amtrak train on any of your adventures? We have considered it. We have. So I was assigned the answer to this question. I know. To do the research. You're you're my research assistant. Yeah. So I, I found some interesting information. We'll start with one of the easiest, which is Glacier National Park. So Amtrak runs what's called the Empire Builder route, which goes from Chicago to Seattle. It also peels off and goes to Portland. So like on its approach to the West Coast, it either goes to Portland or or Seattle, depending on, on which route you're on. The train tracks follow the southern border of Glacier National Park. There's a depot at East Glacier, the little town right east of the park. And we stayed right there in East yeah. Glacier a, a few weeks ago at the, what's the Glacier Park Hotel? Yes. Which is right across the road from the train depot. So obviously, if you're going to take a train to a park, once you get there, you still have to have transportation. So mm-hmm. in Glacier, you could stay at the hotel and rent a car. Uh, you also have those 
red bus tours, I think, that a lot of the visitors were taking. Yeah. Um, and we met a couple who had done just that. Yeah, we met them in the bar of the hotel, and they were finishing their drinks, and they were getting ready to go get on the train, obviously a night train, and they were taking it to Spokane, and then they were going to fly out of Spokane. But I have wanted to do that train, especially because... You know, in our first two episodes this month, we talked about the Great Northern Railway, yep. who brought the train to Glacier, who built these hotels. Like, it has such a great sense of history. So I would love to do that. And then you don't have to drive all that way by yourself. And Yeah, you know. maybe we'll do that. It, it also stops in Whitefish on the west side of the park. Mm-hmm. And so you could stop in Whitefish and, and uh, spend some time there. But there are other national parks that have train tours or train-related excursions. So New River Gorge, we have plans to go there soon. It's not an Amtrak train, but they do in the fall. They have an Autumn Colors Express in late October, and it's a day-long excursion that follows that New River Gorge. And so you see the colors, and, and you go through part of the park. And we should do that. So you got you got mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Also in the Great Smoky Mountain area, there's the Great Smoky Mountain Railroad. Uh, it also has some excursions in the area. And the excursions don't necessarily go through the park, but this might be a good idea of something to do if you're in the area visiting that park. Anyway, they have the Nantahala Gorge excursion and i think that's like a five or six hour excursion Mm -hmm. so you can do that they also have the moonshine experience (laughs) oh Uh, that sounds so you could do that that's another train related (laughs) thing you could do by a national park so let's go to alaska for a second you can go from anchorage you can take a train to denali national park that same railroad also has a train that goes south to seward and so you could see Kenai Fjords. Oh, that'd be cool. Now, of course, both of those, once you get to the parks, you'd have to have some form of transportation. Yeah, but in Denali, since you're doing a, a bus tour, probably, maybe you don't need to have your own car. I mean, it just depends what you want to do and see. Right. And I'm, I'm sure there's all sorts of providers of, of mm-hmm. transportation that can get you around. Also, uh, Cuyahoga Valley National Park. Oh, we, yes. We, we talked the, about that on last week's episode. My, my dream to yeah, ride the train. The, yeah, the Cuyahoga Valley Scenic Railroad. It's a three and a half hour excursion. It runs from May through October. And as we found out, it doesn't run every day. And on all of these things, look them up because the details on these things change all the time. Oh, sure. Somebody could be listening to this episode three years from now. And these are just giving you some ideas. Another one is Grand Canyon National Park. They have a excursion from the little town of Williams in Arizona. Uh-huh. You jump on that train, it goes up right to the South Rim, stays there for about three hours while while you can get out and explore the area. So yeah. Yeah, that looks fun. We've seen that train a lot, people getting on and off because it's right there in the heart of the park. So that would be a fun thing to do too. Yeah. And finally, I found in my research that there is a brand new route and this isn't an Amtrak. It, uh, a lot of these are, are non-Amtrak companies that, that run these. But there is a train service from Denver to Moab. So it's a two-day excursion. I think it stops at Glenwood Springs and then uh, Moab or Denver, which, whichever direction you're going. Now, again, if you're going to Moab, you're going to have to have some kind of transportation mm-hmm. there to, to get in and out of the parks or around the area. So there's several train options in and around the national parks. I think train travel is great. And 
there's another one I want to do that we, that we heard is really spectacular, and that's up through the Canadian Rockies. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that would be incredible, too. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, there's a train that runs between Vancouver, B.C., and Calgary. That would be fun to do when we're visiting Banff and Jasper National Parks. I think that would be really fun. We, yeah. should, we should do that next summer. All right, let's do it. Okay. Is that, is that it for the trains? That's, nice. that's it. Well, no, I, one, one other thing I should say. When I was doing the research, if you type in Amtrak and national parks, you'll see all sorts of Amtrak rail tours to mm-hmm. national parks. You got to look at the details because a lot of times, really what that means is you take the train as close as you can get to the park and then you're on a bus the rest of the way. And by the rest of the way, that could be five miles or it could be a hundred. Okay. So they might advertise, oh, you know, take, uh, you know, take the Amtrak to Yellowstone. Well, the last part of the trip could be on a bus. All right. Great job, research assistant. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much for the question, Nan. Okay. Our next question comes from Karen, a fellow Karen. Hey, Karen. Uh, I wonder if she hates her name, Karen, as much as I do. Uh, she didn't mention What this. if she likes her name? Well. And then you just put that idea in her <laughs> head or maybe even insulted her. No, I, I'm not putting the idea in anybody's head. It, it's a worldwide thing, the, the whole Karen name. The, worldwide? I'm pretty sure. Like, go to Italy. <laughs> yes. They're saying. All the Karens in all Italy. All the Karens in Italy. Are, are, are dying because of okay. this. Because the name Karen gets attached to every mean, bigoted, entitled, middle-aged white woman. Hmm. <laughs> yes. Anyway. What was yes, the question? Yeah. Karen's not apparently worried about her name. She's worried about bears. Bears on trails. Her question. So a couple of questions in her question. She asks, do you worry about snacks in your backpacks while you're hiking? Yes. Okay. Not having enough. Not- <laughs> Then, is bear spray a must, or is a small air horn sufficient, or should I not even worry? We don't do long hikes, so my husband thinks I'm too worried, where I don't think he is worried enough. Okay, good questions. Yeah, a lot of lot of smaller questions in there as well. In terms of being worried about snacks, we really aren't. There was one, one time when we actually were worried about the snacks and it probably was well warranted his we were up in alaska we were in wrangell st elias national park and we were going for a hike out in the wilderness where there are a lot of bears and we realized not only did we have a package of smoked salmon jerky in our backpacks but we had eaten half of it so the smell was on mm-hmm. our backpacks and the outside of the package and on our hands and clothes and all, and so we decided to get rid of that before we went into the wilderness. There was a visitor center there, and we were talking to the ranger about it, and she showed us where we could throw it away inside the visitor center so it wouldn't attract bears on the outside. But yeah, that was that was way back when we had no clue what we were doing. Uh, but other than that, as everyone knows, because we write about it, we take peanut butter and jelly and granola bars and nuts, so we don't worry no, about... No, don't, I don't think the mm-hmm. snacks are... Uh, mm-hmm. The smell of the food is going to attract the bears any more than your smell. I mean, they have a sense of smell. So they're going to smell you mm-hmm. as much as they're going to smell the snack. I wouldn't worry about that so much. The other parts of the, the question are interesting. Let's talk about horns, mm-hmm. bear horns, or, or essentially what they are. They're, they're small boat horns that people take. And we saw people with them when we were just in Glacier National Park last month. But I think if the bear was, let's say, far away, 100 yards, 200 yards, and you wanted to make the bear aware of, of you being there, 
I think the air horn would be a good thing to just alert them. Right. So that you're not you're not uh, startling them. Right. I looked this question up, bear horns versus bear spray, and I, I read as much as I could about it. And that was what the general consensus was, is that if the bear is far away from you, let's say he's eating berries on a trail and you need to access that trail to get back to your, your vehicle, you could use the air horn and probably scare him away. But the, the air horn is not going to do anything if you surprise the bear and now the bear is coming for you. You've got to have the bear spray. So it's two different things. It's right. not the air horn isn't going to protect you, but it might scare a bear away from a distance. Yeah, yeah. And that's one of the reasons why bear spray works is because they're sensing you with, with their sense of smell. And they hit that bear spray in the air. It does irritate their nose and their eyes, but it also freaks them out. They, they get totally confused. Their, their sense of smell is overwhelmed. And that's really the thing that scares them off. Mm-hmm. You're better off having bear spray than not having it. And I think also, Karen, it depends on where you're hiking. We would say, and also any ranger that you ask, if you are in Yellowstone, Grand Teton National Park, Glacier National Park, and or any of the eight Alaska National Parks, absolutely 100% need to have bear spray. Right. No doubt about it. You really should. I mean, right. it, it's good insurance. And you don't have to just be in the wilderness. At Glacier National Park, at Logan Pass, the parking lot, there have been Mama grizzly bears with cubs walk through that parking lot. Right. Don't think that, oh, well, I'm not out in the wilderness. There are certain parks where you need to be aware no matter where you're at. Yes. And that was part of your question. The length of the hike doesn't matter. It's where you're hiking. You know, the thing is, so we hike all the time in in our home state of Washington, and um, we have black bears here. We always take our bear spray because it also protects you from other things that you might need protection from. Other animals, you know, maybe a human. It's a it, personal uh, self-defense. Yes, and yeah. it's peace of mind. Also, we've said this in other uh, podcast episodes. When you buy your bear spray, Karen, make sure you have it accessible. So either in the outside water bottle pocket of your backpack, you know, where you can grab it, or even better, on your belt loop, clip it on. Sometimes when we're hiking through grizzly bear country, like we did last month in Glacier, I have it in my hand. That's key. If it's inside your backpack and you need the bear spray, you are not going to have time to take your pack off and get it out. Yeah. As long as we're on the topic, a couple of other things I suggest you should practice. You know, you don't want to fire your bear spray for the first time when a bear's charging you. You want to practice, you want to practice taking the safety off the trigger. And we have done this in our backyard because we've had bear spray for so long that some of some of them expired. So we thought, well, we're going to take the expired ones and we'll shoot them off in the backyard so we we have a chance to practice. And if you pull that trigger and hold it down until the canister's empty, it's a matter of seconds. I don't know, mm-hmm. maybe 10 seconds, 15. It's not like a can of spray paint. That thing's going to run out pretty quick. Yeah. And the other thing, too, that when we were at the Granite Park Chalet, the staff there told us they were talking about bear spray. Um, They said, make sure you aim low because a lot of people, when they fire it, it goes right over the bear's head and it doesn't do any good. You want it to go in their nose and in their eyes. And so you want to, as it's running towards you, you want to aim low so that it gets to where it needs to go. Anyway, I hope that helps, but I would say it's worth the 40 bucks or whatever a, a can of bear spray is going for just, just for the peace of mind. 
All right. Thanks for the question, Karen, and happy hiking. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Well, on this next question, it's also about wildlife, but much smaller wildlife, (laughs) (laughs) but just as bothersome as bears. (laughs) Yes. So this question is from Natalie in Eugene, Oregon, and she wrote, Dear Matt and Karen, I heard you mention on an earlier podcast about a tick incident. When we travel to the parks, I'm really afraid of getting ticks while I'm hiking. And I'm wondering if you have any advice about how you prevent tick bites and also what to do if I find a tick embedded in my skin. That's my worst nightmare. Okay, so from bears to ticks. Um, I mean, I get it. First of all, It's just a creepy factor, right? This little bug is going to burrow into your skin and basically suck your blood. Yeah. That's what's going on. Yeah, it's kind of creepy. However, we have done some research, not just for this answer on for this episode. Spring is the worst time for ticks, but, and, and we'll talk about the incident we had, which was in April, but we've also learned that the summer heat kills them off. So... The tick season's fairly short. Now you have to kind of know where you are and talk to the ranger about the the ticks in that particular area. So it's not like if if you're somewhere in September, you probably don't have to worry about the ticks. Mm -hmm. But spring is is really pretty bad. Yes. In, in In some places. Right. Yeah, it depends where you are. What happened to us was we were in Teddy Roosevelt National Park, which is in North Dakota in April. We went on a hike. Um, It was, I remember it was the Upper Talkington Trail, which was about eight miles round trip. Beautiful day. Yeah, we had a a great day. We were tick naive. Oh, it didn't even enter our minds. Or tick ignorant, I guess is a better Uh way to describe it. Um, We were uh, hiking in some kind of scrubby, brushy areas, and there were trees overhead. And we didn't realize what was happening to us at the time. Well, until... there was, yeah, it, yeah, there was a, a part of the trail. I think it was the, actually the furthest part of the trail from the trailhead. There were some trees. I think they were oak trees. Anyway, we went under, we hiked underneath them and I thought it was raining. And then I didn't think about it again for another hour or so. <laughs> well, when we were back in the car. When we were back, yeah, back in the car. <laughs> it wasn't rain. There were ticks falling out of the trees and hitting our backpacks and, and hats and, and stuff. Yeah. I know. We, we we really weren't thinking about ticks. So we get back in the truck. We had to drive. Actually, we were driving to South Dakota. You start driving because I was actually working, editing the book, and I had my laptop. And we get on the highway. Mm-hmm. I was wearing 
long hiking pants and I could feel something crawling up my leg underneath the pants. And I kind of knew instantly what it was. And I thought, I'm going to discreetly get that tick off my leg and maybe throw it out the window so that you wouldn't know (laughs) and we wouldn't have an incident. Well, (laughs) that wasn't the only tick in the car. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Yes. I didn't discover my ticks until I was on the highway going 75 miles an hour, and it is rainy now at this point, and there's no place to pull off. And all of a sudden, I feel the back of my neck start to itch. And I I reached back there with my hand. And of course, you know, there were like seven ticks on the back of my neck. I remember what what I told you. I don't know how I got them. I, I don't know if I grabbed them and threw them out the window or what, but I, I kept telling you, oh, yeah, no, I, I got the last one. There were a lot of them. Oh. We had we had a lot of ticks with us. I know. We just didn't know what to do at that point because there was literally no place to pull over. And if, if you could pull over, what are you going to do then? You're going to stand outside, I guess, and pick ticks off yourself? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, but even though you had many ticks on you and you were itching all over and swerving from lane to lane. I was trying I, to get to South Dakota as fast as I could. I know. Um, I I was now concerned about the other cars uh, and, and as much as the ticks. But yeah, we, we ended up on this two-lane road heading south to South Dakota. There was this one part on this two-lane road where you're insistent to pass these cars. And I think we were even going up a hill. There's a line of cars. So you get into the passing lane and you pass the first car, like the the second one was maybe a truck and you're going like 85 miles an hour. And all of a sudden you hit the brakes <laughs> while you're passing the cars and you wait for them all to pass so that you can get back. I was like, what are you doing? I got up to the third one. And as I was going past it, I glanced over and it looked like an unmarked police car. And I thought, oh, shit, you know, he's going to pull me over for speeding. So then I, I kind of hit the brakes, but I was still in the other lane. So, so Becky is, is there really (laughs) any question as to why I do all the driving? itchy over here wants to <laughs> pass all the cars going 85 miles an hour going up a hill uh, uh-huh. but no. but but we survived and we got to our hotel room in rapid city ran up there took showers and there were at that point there were a few ticks still left we stuffed our clothes into trash bags and put them in the car but let's talk specifically because we have some information for you besides just telling you our story goofy all right yeah so i looked up on the website for the cdc okay and so if you get a tick embedded in your skin, this is what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to use a tweezers to grasp the tick as close to your skin as possible. And then you pull steadily, you pull them out. You don't twist it or turn your tweezers because according to the website, this can cause the tick's mouth parts, mouth parts to break off in your skin. All right, we just lost all the listeners. <laughs> I'm like, what, I'm reading what, this going, you, the mouth parts are in your skin. And then it goes on okay, to I'm say, have nightmares. <laughs> it says, if this happens, remove the mouth parts with the tweezers. Uh, what? 
Yeah. We're never hiking in April ever again. What does the mouth part of a tick look like? I, I, don't, I don't even get that. Um, but the point is you need to get it out quickly. And they also said that the old folklore, the old wife's tales don't work. So, you know, I think people say paint fingernail polish on the tick. Don't do that. Put Vaseline on a tick. Don't do that. Put your hair dryer up the tick and put heat on them. Don't do any of that. Yank them out with the tweezers. And then where do you put them? You put them in the in the toilet. That's you right. You put them, them in the, the toilet. toilet. That's the best thing to do. Of course, if you're in the wild and there is no toilet. Then, then you're screwed. <laughs> <laughs> Because if you throw them away, they'll they'll chase you down. They can run faster than a human being. They can run faster than bears. I would put them in my peanut butter and jelly sandwich baggie, personally. It did say you could wrap them in tape, so that would be a use for your duct tape. We are losing listeners as fast as we can. I know. But the other part of your question, Natalie, um, how to prevent them. One thing the website said and something that we do is we spray our clothes with permethrin ahead of time before we hike. And that does work. Yeah. Uh, we found this product a few years ago and we just go in the backyard and put a, a clothesline out and we you know, follow the instructions on, on the packaging. But you soak your clothes pretty well. I don't recognize a smell to, no, uh, to no. the clothes. We let them dry, completely dry. That really works. It does work. And and you also want to, if you're going to do that, you want to spray your hat, which you should definitely wear a hat while you're hiking to keep the ticks off of, you know, your hair. And you should spray your backpack because if they fall on your backpack while you're hiking. And, and that leads me to the other point is wear long pants, wear long sleeves and wear long socks with your hiking boots. Keep Try to keep covered as much as you can if you're worried about ticks. Yeah, and one other thing about that permethrin, we spray our tents. So if we're backpacking, right. we'll spray the and mm-hmm. and it's it's not just a tick thing, right? I mean, it keeps flies, it keeps mosquitoes away. Uh-huh. Uh, the other thing the CDC mentioned too is. Of course, you can also use insect repellents on your skin. You know, there's a host of them, everything from 100% DEET to lemon eucalyptus oil. You can try any of those. I think some help more than others. Yeah, Um, I'd go with 100% DEET. mm -hmm. Yeah, I would too. Anyway, Natalie, I hope that helps. We rarely have run into ticks besides that one big tick. Well, we kind of know what to look for and and know how to Mm -hmm. prevent them. Yeah, and as soon as you get done hiking, check yourself uh, check the people you're hiking with, you know, do a tick check just to make sure check that... The, check the driver mm-hmm. before the driver <laughs> goes barreling down the highway. That's right. <laughs> okay. Hope that helps. Thanks for the question, Natalie. All right. One last question. Okay. Surprisingly, over the last six months or so, we have gotten a lot of questions from people about weddings in the national parks. And the question is always the same. We want to get married in a national park. What's the most scenic park? Where do you suggest we get married? Sometimes it's from the bride. Sometimes it's from the groom. Sometimes it's from the mother of the bride. But it's always the same. People want to get married in the parks. And and people ask us questions that we are completely unqualified to answer. Know, it doesn't stop us from giving long, detailed answers. That's right. like we We don't know. But we'll answer this question anyway. Yes. Well, here's the thing. I did not know that getting married in a national park is actually a thing that you can do. I thought people literally just showed up, 
stood out there, said their vows, and got back in their car. But we contacted one of our ranger friends. How romantic. Yeah, I know. (laughs) (laughs) We contacted one of our ranger friends who we're always going to with our questions. And she told us that weddings in the national parks require a permit. And there are all kinds of rules rules and regulations that need to be followed. And of course, that depends on the park you're getting married in. Yeah. It, it, and of course, it depends on really what the ceremony is like. <laughs> so we are not going to list any national parks that we think it would be great to get married in, because quite frankly, there are dozens of national parks that are beautiful there and national forests. There, there's a million beautiful places that you could get married. But I think a couple of things to keep in mind is that you know, do you want to hike? Do, do you and your wedding party want to hike to a remote location? Or do you want to pull off the side of the road? Um, and also, you know, what about parking? How many people are you having? And how many park visitors do you want to share your special day with? Yeah, and who who you want around when you're getting married. When we were in Glacier National Park a few weeks ago, we saw there's just one area of the park we saw wedding after wedding and they were lined up. So I, I it's a it was a beautiful backdrop. Mm-hmm. I get that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the photographs were probably spectacular. But um yeah, I mean it was every bit as crowded as, as an urban setting for instance uh, right. to get married. And you know, it's it's not the national parks aren't aren't like set up with extra parking and facilities and and stuff i mean it's it's a lot of times it's wilderness area or or close to it so uh you you have to know that there it 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 might be a little inconvenient to do it yeah and i mean you could have visitors walking through your photos i mean it's not your private we've walked through many weddings (laughs) 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 but speaking of weddings Exactly a year ago, in September of last year, uh, Matt. I got married <laughs> at a national park. No, Matt married some good friends of ours in Olympic National Park. They had planned a big wedding before COVID hit, and they asked Matt to be the officiant. And so he did. I don't know. What did you have to do yeah, to become I, an officiant? Well, uh, it depends on the state. You you become ordained and there's ways to easily become ordained. It, it depends on the state. In some states, you don't have to be an ordained minister. Uh, but I, I got like the uh, certification. And then, of course, as soon as I did that, the wedding was canceled because of COVID. Right. Right. I don't mm-hmm. think it was uh, because I was the officiant. Uh, <laughs> So they were going to put it off for a year, uh-huh. but then a few months into it, they thought, well, we're not going to wait a f- another full year. People listening probably have heard this story from countless numbers of couples have dealt with this during COVID. So in as it as fall approached, they said, you know, we would like to just go on a backpacking trip in a beautiful part of the wilderness and just get married in the, in the back country. And since I still, I ha- had the, qualifications to do that uh they got the the marriage license all set up and the four of us went on a backpacking trip in olympic national park Mm -hmm. um out in the out in the wilderness area and it was the weather was not great but uh, just like the afternoon that we had planned on doing the wedding the clouds parted and the weather got 
better. And it, it turned out to be actually a spectacular little private ceremony. Yes, they did not have a specific destination in mind that day. They said, we'll, we'll know it when we get there. And sure enough, we, we came upon, we were basically at the top of a mountain and there was this clearing and the sun came out and the view was amazing. And they said, this is it. And so it was so great because Matt, you and the groom had like these matching Buffalo check Filson vests yeah. and white shirts. Our friend Bree, who got married, brought a white dress. It was like a summer dress that she could literally roll up in her backpack. I had gone to Ross. I bought like what looked like a bridesmaid's dress for like 20 bucks. And I had that rolled up in my pack. So we changed our clothes. We had, they had the most amazing wedding. You were fantastic, Matt. I well, thank say. you. We, we did a little <laughs> costume change and we found a spot on this rock clearing. And there were hikers that came by and they were, uh, they were very respectful. They could, they could tell as soon as they, and, and it wasn't many because we were kind of in the wilderness, maybe, mm-hmm. you know, four or five hikers in the course of the, the, the time. And, uh, they all moved to, Oh, let's, let's give them some space. And so we, we had the ceremony and then, uh, so we did the, we did the ceremony. It was really, uh, it was just perfect. I mean, it was, it was, it was a great wedding. So it was just the four of us. And it was the most romantic, most special wedding I've ever been to. Because when you take away all the fanfare, and you take away all the the huge wedding party and the and the flowers and the decorations and all the people and the wedding reception and, and all that is gone. And all you have is just this very intimate wedding. And they they had written their vows. And it came down to just two people standing at the top of a mountain expressing their love and their lifelong commitment. I don't know. It was it was heartfelt and sincere and about as romantic as it could possibly be. So you're saying it was me, the officiant. <laughs> no. That's what you're saying? No, it didn't have anything to do with you. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it turned out great. And mm-hmm. and then as soon as it was over, uh, the groom pulls out of his backpack champagne. Mm-hmm, a whole uh, bottle. Yeah. And so we have our little <laughs> camp chairs. We're setting up in this rocky area off away from the trail. And we drank champagne. And then you had brought champagne. Mm-hmm. Also. I didn't know they were bringing champagne. I so, brought champagne. Yeah. We, we sat there for, gosh, a couple of hours just enjoying the scenery and having a good time. Then we realized we had to like pack all of this <laughs> stuff up, change back into our uh, hiking clothes, and we still had like five miles to go with those heavy packs. A really hard five miles. Yeah, to to uh, our campsite for the night. And of course, to, you know, set up camp once we got there. We, I think we hiked past two different black bears on the way down. And we didn't even care. We were just so intent on getting to our campsite. Yeah, I can see why people want to get married in the national parks. I mean, what what a, uh, not just a spectacular backdrop, but what a great place to start your married life. In fact, I think we, we should go renew our vows. We, we should go have a wedding again in a national park. Do you want to do that? <laughs> yes. We have to get somebody to officiate. <laughs> I think we can find somebody. Yeah, so I, I like that they call them officiants because they, uh-huh. you know, your job is to like call fouls and assess <laughs> penalties right. as well. But yeah, do you think I could still wear a white dress? I, I think you're gonna have to edit that part out of this episode. <laughs> 
<laughs> I think we have done enough mailbag for one day. Yes, but this has been really fun. This is why we love mailbag because you guys send in such great questions. So please, if you have more questions for us, we'd love to get them. Um, you can email us at mattandkarensmith at gmail.com. Mailbag usually comes out the last Thursday of the month, but in October, we'll be moving it to make way for a special Halloween episode. Karen, I know you're really excited about that one. I cannot wait. It's going to be month or so we have a couple of fun trips coming up and if you'd like to follow along online you can see photos on our instagram account at matt and karen smith on our facebook page at dear bob and s and on twitter at matt and karen how are things in the twitterverse matt the twitterverse well it's coming along we have a couple hundred people following us uh thank you to everybody who's followed us and and is supporting us there uh we have a long way to go though uh, to, to catch you on Instagram, but we're, we're getting there. It's, you got to start somewhere. That's right. I think you're doing great. Yeah. Thank you. And thanks so much to all of you for tuning in to this month's Mailbag episode. One of the great things for us about Mailbag is that by answering your questions, we always learn new things as well. What did you learn this time, Karen? I learned that we're never answering any more questions about why you always do the driving on our road trips. Well, yeah, uh, no, I'm fine with you driving. I, I just think it would be awkward if we drove two vehicles to every national park. Oh, is that how it would go? <laughs> <laughs> we each have our own car. Maybe, yes. <laughs> <laughs>